Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew shows Jesus to be the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. We're in a special section. When you started, when we th started the book, we got the very first part of the gospel of Matthew, and it showed the background. It showed that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham and then David, of course. And then we got to what we call the platform of the king, which was chapters 5, 6, and 7, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, where he taught some different things. Now we're in the section that we're seeing the power of the king. That's chapters 8, 9, and 10. And Matthew shows us Jesus' power over death and over disease and, and even the demons. And the purpose is to point out that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, and the Savior. Also in chapter 10, Jesus shows his power by sending out the twelve. And they go into the, basically he says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and, and to take the message. In fact, if you look at verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 10, notice it says, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. And he says this, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter into any city of the Samaritans, but go rather, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's telling them to go to the Jewish people and present Jesus as the King and the Messiah. Now this morning, as we're seeing all this, we're seeing the issue of discipleship. In fact, in verse 24, we saw this last week, it said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. And we're going to see the issue of discipleship. Now, when we think about discipleship, sometimes it gets confusing. And because we see things like this, they talk to people about confessing and denying the king or the idea of taking up our cross. What does all that mean? So as we begin, let me just raise some questions for you before we get into the passage. First is this, what does it mean to confess or deny Jesus? Second, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, why when he came did he not bring peace? The third question is, what does it mean to take up our cross? And then the fourth thing, what is the difference between salvation and discipleship? So there's a lot in this passage. We'll go, we'll go quickly. There's only, it's 10 verses, basically, and we'll, we'll see how that fits together. In Acts 16.31, it just so happens, this is the passage that I taught at, at the, the junior camp. It was so fun. But in Acts 16.31, we get probably the most important question that any person could ever ask. And that was the Philippian jailer when he realized his life was on the line and he understood and he, and he saw Paul and Silas. And he, so he asked them this question. He said, what must I do to be saved? How can I have life? How can I have eternal life? And Paul's answer was very, very simple and very, very sure. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, trusting in Jesus Christ for eternal life. We know this that in churches today, a lot of places, the message is confused. You'll hear things like, make Jesus Lord of your life. Uh, 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 walk down an aisle and, and make a public profession. You've got to get baptized. You've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to be willing to do this or do this. We realize from the Word of God that the basis for salvation is just faith alone. There are over 165 verses in the New Testament, just in the New Testament, that say it's faith alone. This is called the grace message, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what's the conflict all about? The problem is this. People confuse. The problem is the confusion between salvation and discipleship. Salvation is a gift that costs us absolutely nothing. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and offers us the gift of eternal life. So we're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. Costs us nothing. But discipleship, it's different. It costs us our lives. We give our lives in service to Jesus Christ. 
And so that's the key. And sometimes people get confused. And what they do sometimes is they make discipleship and salvation the same thing. They say, in order to be saved, you've got to be willing to serve Jesus, or you've got to give your life to Jesus and serve him, and then you can be saved. They make no distinction between salvation and discipleship. We call our view of what the Bible actually teaches, we call it the grace idea. The grace position is there's a difference. That salvation is by faith, a gift that costs us nothing. It's free. Discipleship is works. It's when we offer our lives and we serve God. Salvation is eternal life salvation. Discipleship deals with the Christian life. Now, let me just say this. If salvation is giving up our life and ser- giving up our lives in service to God then salvation is a work because you've got to be willing to serve Jesus Christ in order to be saved it's not if if you have to do that it is no longer a gift it is not by grace it is by works there is a distinction between salvation and discipleship salvation is by faith god so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would what what Believe. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he hears my word and believes him who sent me. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Over and over throughout the Bible, salvation is always a gift by faith. But the idea of discipleship and Jesus Christ taking up the cross and following me, Matthew 10, 38, that's in our passage, he actually says, he does not take up his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me. In Luke chapter 14, he says, take up your cross and die to yourself and follow me. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see confessing and denying and taking up the cross. This has nothing to do with salvation. These people are already saved. These are his disciples. At least 11 of the 12 are, let me put it that way. And so we're going to see that he's sending them out, and the issue is the cost of discipleship. Look back at chapter 10. Look at verses 1 and 2. We see this. Jesus summoned the 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the name of the 12 apostles are these, and he lists them. Simon is called Peter and Andrew his brother and James the son of Zebedee and John his brother and Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and then Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed him. And so in those verses right there you have the listing of the men that he is sending out. And here's what he told them. He said, this is not going to be easy when you go out to represent me. He said, you'll be sheep among wolves. There's going to be con- Conflict, as we saw in verse 23. He said, the disciple is not above his master. In fact, he says, in beginning in verse 28, three different places where he says, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Well, this morning, we're going to see the issue of discipleship. And let me break down those verses. I'm sorry, it, 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 uh, we're going to look at confessing and denying Jesus Christ. That's the first part. Then there's going to be division. Then we're going to talk about the death. And the death there is not Jesus' death on the cross. It's our death. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then he deals with rewards right at the end. So there's a lot here. Let's talk about confessing and denying Jesus. I have heard, be, after I trusted Christ and I was 19, I never went to church, so I didn't hear a bunch of things. But as I grew as a Christian, I remember people would say, if you deny Christ, you don't go to heaven. Confessing Christ means you, you walk down an aisle and you tell people you're saved, and that's confessing. And denying Christ is you're not willing to get up, you're not willing to do something, and so that's salvation. This is not salvation. Confessing Christ and denying Christ has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's not based on what we do. We, we trust Jesus Christ and we have eternal life. This whole idea of confessing and denying is dealing with discipleship. Look what he says in verse 32. Therefore, 
Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. The idea of confessing Jesus Christ means to declare him, to tell who he is, to, to live your life in that way, to say, I want people to know who Jesus Christ is. To basically to confess is to tell that Jesus Christ is your Savior and to live for him and to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want you to know who he is and I want my life to count for him. I want to live for him. There's some places in the gospel of Matthew and also the Gospel of John in which there were people who believed in Jesus Christ but they would not confess him publicly and they would not tell other people that they had believed in him. They're still saved. This is talking about discipleship and living for Christ. So he says this, everyone who confesses me, who lives for me before men, I will also confess, make known him before my Father who is in heaven. He says, I will confess to the Father. We're talking about rewards. Listen, if you live for Jesus Christ right now, when you stand before your Savior, he's going to say, what? Well done, what? Good and faithful servant. That's what he's going to say. He's going to be confessing you that you live for him. But you don't live for him. He's not going to do that. He's not going to say that. That's what he says. Therefore, anyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. It's faithful service will be rewarded. What do you want to hear when you get there? If we live for Christ now, declaring him before others, Jesus Christ will declare us before the Father. But there's the flip side. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. He says, if you deny, the word deny almost has disown. <clears throat> you remember Peter denied Jesus three times. And the people first said, oh yeah, you're one. He said, I don't really know what you're talking about. And then they said, no, no, you were with him. And he said, I don't know the man. And then the third time they said, you're with him, he said, he actually said, you know, I swear, is what he said, uh, I don't know the man. That was denying him. That has nothing to do with his salvation. Salvation is a gift by faith. It had to do whether he was going to stand for Jesus Christ or not. Peter didn't at that time. Of course, later on, he did. And the idea there is if you, if you deny him, if we don't make him known, what will he do? I will deny. It's, the key is rewards. Listen, understand, Jesus is not suddenly telling them how to get to heaven. He's telling them how to live for Christ and how to stand strong. He's talking to disciples about service and rewards. And if we don't understand that, we're going to be confused. If we live for Jesus Christ, we'll be rewarded. If we don't live for Jesus Christ, we won't be rewarded. Faithfulness equal rewards. That's confessing him, living out our lives, telling people about Jesus Christ and telling him who he is and that we belong to him. Unfaithfulness, there's no reward, and that's denying him. That's what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body, whether good or worthless, is what it actually says. We're going to stand before him. And either if we have lived here, confessing him, living for him, standing strong for Christ, he will confess us before the Father, there'll be rewards. If we've denied him, if we've not lived for him, when we stand there, he's going to deny us. And what he's going to deny us is the rewards. It's a powerful passage. Now, he's already talked about uh, in this passage about as you go out and there's going to be people against you and the disciples not greater than his teacher and if they treated him one way, they're going to treat us that way. He now gets more into the cost of discipleship. And there's two things that stand out in the next two little sections. It's division and death. 
you realize that when you go into this world with the grace message of salvation and you proclaim to people that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, and there's no other way to the Father except through him, that he's the Son of God, that he died and rose again, that you believe in him and that he is the way of salvation and that you're going to stand for him, when you go into this world with that message, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict and there's going to be division. Look what he says, and this is, I love this verse. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Listen, he, he didn't come to bring peace. And you know, uh, we're going to talk about this. People say, wait a minute, wait a minute. In Jesus, the what? The prince of what? Prince of peace. What do you mean he didn't come bring peace? Well, I want you to understand something. In his first coming, when he came, when he was born in Bethlehem, and then at age 30 started this ministry, and his three, three and a half years that we're seeing in the Gospel of Matthew, the message that he brings there does not bring peace. It brings division. So the first coming of Jesus Christ to the earth was not to bring peace. Okay, then notice his second coming. When he comes as the king of kings and the lord of lords to set up the kingdom, he comes as the king of kings and the king of the prince of peace, and he rules as the king. And I want to remind you that this is his first coming. He came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for sin, and his message did not bring peace. It brings division. We'll see it in just a second. When he comes the second time as the king of kings and the lord of lords and set up his kingdom, he comes as the prince of peace. So when people say, Jesus is the prince of peace, how come when he came there wasn't peace? He says, no, I didn't come the first time to bring peace. Notice what he says. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And there's conflict. And listen, anytime you proclaim Jesus Christ, there's going to be division. Listen, you, you can say, we've said this many, many times, you can say God all you want to. You can talk to anybody anywhere and talk about God and say, God's good. And they've got everybody, God, God's good, yeah. Isn't God wonderful? God's wonderful. And then you say, but Jesus is the only way. And all of a sudden, there's division right there. Because when you say Jesus, and you say he's the only way, what you're saying is he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me and all the other religions, which the religions is man trying to do something, get to God. They're all wrong, and they are all wrong. And when you proclaim Jesus is the only way, there's going to be division. Notice what he says. He says, when you do this, look what happens. Look at verse 35. He says, uh, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He's quoting Micah chapter 7, verse 6, because at the time of Micah, because of disobedience and unbelief, there was great conflicts in the families because some Jewish people were believers and some weren't, and they caused great conflict. This says that family members will be against one another. That's what happens. He says, the enemy will be in your own household. I have seen it so many times. I talked about it, I think, either last week or the week before that. I've seen college students come off to OSU, get with us, and they, for the first time in their lives, completely understand that salvation is a gift by faith alone and Christ alone. And they trust Christ as Savior. And the first thing they do is they go back home and they tell their mom and daddy, first of all, they say it not usually right. They, they go back and say, you're wrong. And what they should go back and say, yeah, I found something. I want you to hear what I found, you know, when I went to college and what I've learned. And when they go back and they say they believe that salvation is a gift by faith, oftentimes parents say, I don't believe that. Well, you're wrong. That's not what we've been taught. Uh, no, we don't hold to those kind of things. And there comes division all of a sudden. And it's in families. It's in friends. It's the truth. When you give the message of salvation, J. Vernon McGee, a great Bible teacher, I've always I loved him. He passed away, but he taught the Bible through the Bible radio by J. Vernon McGee. He taught through the Bible in five years, verse by verse, all the way through the Bible. He said, the cross divides people. It does. 
when you say, you can say God all you want to and nobody gets mad. When you say Jesus and salvation by faith alone in Christ, you get people mad because that's the message, that's the dividing line. Either you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and you trust in Him and you're saved and saved forever, or you reject Him as Savior. And that's the thing. And so the cost of discipleship is often division. Now there's more. There's more to it because now he's going to talk about death. In verses 37 through 39, the death is not Jesus' death on the cross. It's our death. And we're going to talk about that. Notice what he says. And he gives some really hard stuff in verse 37. And in 38 and 39, he talks about the cross and the life. Look what he says in verse 37. Because being a believer in Jesus Christ and a disciple for Christ cost us. Look what he says in verse 37. I actually don't even like these verses, but it's true. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that's horrible, but it's true. He's saying, listen, you love your family, you love your kids, you love your mom and your daddy. It's Father's Day, it was Mother's Day not too long ago. you got those kids, you see those little babies, you see the little kids running around, you see the youth, you see all this. You say, oh, I love them so much, but he says, listen... Jesus has to be the most important relationship. We must choose Christ above any other relationship. I remember, uh, most of you uh, know uh, the Seaman, Maynard, and Dorothy Seaman. They are the mother and father of Larry and of, of Diane. Uh, Matthew is the ones who are missionaries are here just recently. Well, their mom and daddy, I knew their mama. And I remember talking to her one time when they left and they went to Sri Lanka and they went to India and they went to Nepal and they were there for a long time. And I said, what was it like, your children leaving and you, you're not seeing them for years? And she said, I'd rather them be in God's will in Nepal than to be out of God's will in my house. And they love Jesus above everything else. And their lives were set apart to go into the world to proclaim the message. And for all of us, as much as we love our kids and they love us, the preeminent relationship that Jesus says is you've got to love me above everything else. That's what a disciple does. And that's not easy. That's why it costs you. That's why it costs you your life. That's why when you get to this point, you say, listen, I've trusted Christ and I have eternal life and I'm knowing, I know I'm going to heaven. It's not based on what I've done or what I'm ever going to do. But to be a disciple, I'm going to say, I give you my life and I'll give my life to you and I will go anywhere you want me to go and I'll do anything you want me to do. And the most important relationship in my life is my relationship with you. I still love my mom and daddy. I love my kids. I love But Jesus, I want to do whatever you want me to do. That's pretty hard, and that's what he says to do right here. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and who loves his son or daughter more than me. To say not worthy, I mean, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about worthy of being a disciple. And then he says the verse, who, who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You know, take up the cross. cross taking up the cross doesn't mean you've got some burden. I've heard people say, oh, what's your cross? Oh, my cross is I have a bad leg and I have to go through life, you know. The, taking up the cross is dying to yourself. The cross, I have a cross on that I wear all the time, but when, when, when that cross was back at the time of Jesus, it wasn't something people wore around their necks. 
or earrings or rings. It was a symbol of death and embarrassment and shame because whoever went to the cross died. They had done something wrong as far as the Roman Empire was concerned. And so to take up the cross and say, I die to myself. It's not what I want anymore. It's what Jesus wants, and I give up my life for him. To be a disciple is to carry the cross. To be a disciple is we don't live for ourselves, but for God, his desires, his plans. Listen, let me tell you, this, this is the hardest thing. You remember I talked last week about that I trusted Christ when I was 19. I wandered into a Bible study. I heard the message for the first time in my life, how Jesus died and rose again, and if you believe in him, you have eternal life. And I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I saved and saved forever. But it wasn't until I was 26, 27 that I got to this point where I said, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I knew it was going to cost me. I always wanted to be a coach my whole life. That's what I wanted to be. And I was coach. And even while I was a coach, I said, okay, Lord, even if you don't want me to be a coach, I won't be a coach. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I give you my life. And he let me coach for three or four more years before he changed my desires, and I get to be a pastor. And then if he said to me, you want to be a coach? I said, no, I don't want to be a coach. I want to be a pastor. And so I get to do what I want to do because God says, when you give me your life, I will, I will use you to do things beyond what you could imagine. Now, it's going to cost you because you've got to take up your cross. You've got to die to yourself. I love this quote, Charles Spurgeon. There will not be crown wearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here below. He's saying, you want to have rewards in heaven? You've got to take up the cross, die to yourself, and live for Jesus Christ. Luke 14, 27 says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You notice he didn't say cannot be my child. He didn't say cannot be a believer. He said you can't be my disciple. And it cost us. I'm telling you, this is, I think this is the hardest thing for a believer. I think most Christians never come to this point. I think most Christians think the Christian life is, you know, I'm just going to try to go through life, and when I need him, I'll talk to him, and, and every now and then I need him, but, you know, I'm going to come to church occasionally, and I'm just going to do this. And, and I'll, Listen, he says it's serious, that you have eternal life, and you're saved, and you're saved forever. But you want to make an impact for Christ, and when you stand before him, you want to hear him say, well done, he says, you got to take up your cross, and you got to die to yourself, and you got to live for him. And we got most of the Christians in America are just playing the game. They're believers. Many of them are believers, but they have no idea what it means to be in the battle. They have no idea what it means to die to themselves. They have no idea to say, I'm going to give my life to Christ, and my money, my possessions, my time, my life, my body, my family, everything belongs to him, and I want to live for him from this day forward. I hope and pray that many of you in this room, now some of you I know, and I know you've already made that decision. I know many of you have said already, Lord, I want my life to count for you, and you're making an impact for Jesus Christ. I challenge you, for those who know Christ as Savior, that if you've never said, Lord, I want my life to count for you, and that's a big one. That's why Jesus, when some guy said, I'll follow you wherever I go, and he said, look, if you put your hand to the plow, you don't be looking backwards, because this is a decision you make, and it's a big one, because it costs you your life. Who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me to be basically be a disciple. Look at the next verse because it's powerful. He who has found his life will lose it, and who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Listen, there's the paradox that when you find your life, which means I live for myself, I do what I want to do, it's temporal, you lose it. 
because you gain nothing eternal. But when you say, I lose my life, I give it up for God, not for myself, I give it for him, you find it, and there is eternal rewards. And so what do you want now or the future with Jesus Christ? And let me just tell you this. Sometimes I remember, I have to say this. I was afraid to say to God, take my life and use me. I was afraid because I thought he wouldn't let me be a coach. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought, okay, here, I thought if you said to God, I want my life to count for you, you'd be a preacher or something like that. And so I was afraid to make that decision because I wanted to be a coach or I wanted to do what I thought I wanted to do. And it was scary to say to him, I will do whatever you want me to do. And so when you get, and let me just say this to you. When you make that decision, you may give up your life, but he will take you and use you to do things beyond what you could imagine. And instead of saying, man, it's been a tough life, no, it is a great life to live for Jesus Christ in this world and that he would use you and your life would count for him. What could be better than that? And so don't hesitate. Don't be like me. I was afraid. Oh, I don't want to do it. I'm afraid. But I came to the point and I said, okay, I'm afraid. But I want my life to count for you. I hope and pray every one of us who know Christ that we'll get to that point, if you hadn't already, and you'll say, I want my life to count for you. It's going to cost you. He who has found his life will lose it. If you live for it right now, you're going to lose it. But when you lose your life for his sake, you're going to find it. And that's the rewards. He ends by showing an aspect of rewards, and he talks about, in verses 40 through 42, and I'm just going to go really, really fast through that. He says this, who receives me, he who receives, no, he says, whoever receives you, and he's talking about those 12, who he receives you, receives me. He says, when you go out, you represent me. And he who receives me, that's Jesus, receives him who sent me. He says, listen, when you go out, he basically says, whoever received the apostles, not only received them, but Jesus who sent them, and then God who sent Jesus. And what that means is when we go out from here, we represent Jesus Christ. And when we tell people about Jesus Christ, then in a sense, we're not representing us, we're representing Jesus who representing the Father. And we're telling them the greatest message of all. And he goes on and talks about rewards. He says, whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet gets a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. He's just basically saying, when you go out and you represent Jesus Christ, there are going to be rewards connected with that. And then look at verse 42, because I love this verse. He says, and whoever, in the name of a disciple, you go out representing Christ, gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water. To drink, if you give a little child a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Listen, there will be rewards for service for God, no matter how small. You may think, oh, I worked at vacation Bible school and I helped those little kids and I told them about Jesus, but oh, that's no big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal. Oh, I went to the youth camp and I did this and this and this and that. Oh, that. No, that's a big deal. I talked to the ladies that did the meal. One lady had been there and she has cooked the meals at the camp for, what was it, 33 years? 33 years. I said to her, what a ministry you have. You're taking these kids come through that line and you're giving them stuff and talking to them and loving them. And, and see somebody say, well, I just cook spaghetti. No, 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 you didn't just cook spaghetti. You're touching lives for Christ. And so no matter what you do, whether you think it's a little bitty, what, it's never, it, it's no matter how small, there will be 
rewards. When you stand before your Savior, don't we want him to say, well done, here are your rewards. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment is bima, means rewarding. We will all stand before the rewarding seat of Christ to be rewarded. What have we seen? We've seen confessing Christ as being rewarded, denying him no reward. We've seen the cost of discipleship. There's division there. There's also death to ourselves. And we've seen that God rewards us no matter how little it is, he will. So let me give you some applications. Let's make a decision to live for Christ, to be a disciple. Now, that's a big one. That is really, really, really hard, okay? It's really, really, really hard. Because what you're saying is, I'm giving up my life. It costs us our lives. You die to yourself, you take up the cross. Remember, salvation doesn't cost us anything. Every one of us in this room, if, you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior right where you're sitting right now, you can believe that Jesus died for you and rose again and that he gives you the gift of eternal life and you can trust in him and say, Lord, I, I, want, I want eternal life. I believe in you as my Savior and I want eternal life. He'll give that to you. It costs you nothing. But this costs you. This costs you your life. We die to self, we take up our cross, we follow him, that our lives we count for Christ. We offer our lives as living sacrifices. With that in mind, we get to proclaim the truth. We're ambassadors for Christ. We get to represent him. When we go out, we're representing Jesus, and Jesus represents the Father. We're all in that line, and we get to do that. And there will be rewards, no matter how little you think it is. I mean, I've had people say, all I did was set up the chairs. Really? Okay, what were you doing if nobody set up the chairs? Think about it. It doesn't matter. When you serve Jesus Christ, regardless with the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have, where it is, whether it's out front or behind the scenes, God's going to reward you. The second thing is to remember is let's expect division and persecution as we live for Christ. Just expect it. Same as Christ. They hated him, they'll hate us. When we stand for Jesus Christ, they're going to they're gonna be against us just like they were him. And just remember that the gospel divides. Some believe and some don't believe. And that happens in families, and that's why Jesus talked about it. He says, some, some of the enemies will be in your own household. May we offer our lives as living sacrifices, taking up our cross, dying to ourselves, living for Jesus Christ, representing him in a fallen world, going with the greatest message of all, the message of Jesus Christ.